This episode of Behind the Bliss is made possible by our generous donors. If you love our show and would love to join our patrons, head over to BehindTheBlissPodcast.com and click Give. Or head to www.patreon.com forward slash Behind the Bliss. Thanks! Welcome to the Behind the Bliss Podcast, where Mary Scott Mercer and Rachel Autry bring weekly conversations to encourage, inspire, storytell, and share. Each episode is designed for you to feel met in your mess and balanced in your bliss. Here's today's conversation. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Bliss. I'm your host, Rachel, and today I'm sitting down with Amy Wolf. Amy is a woman of many talents, and we talk about a lot of them today. But, but, one of my favorite topics she has to talk about is what it looks like to love others when you disagree with them. We all have those people a part of our story. They're the ones that you love so dearly, but you disagree on maybe small or larger topics, and it creates that tension in a relationship. Amy speaks to that tension. She asks us questions and gives direction on how to move forward with that specific relationship. She shares her own journey of befriending someone who's quite the opposite of her, the story of losing her brother, and how all of that intertwines into her wanting to love people well, make a difference, and this accidental movement she created inside of it all. I cannot wait to start this conversation with Amy so that you can join us on this movement of what it looks like to empathize with those around you. So without further ado, here is today's conversation. Hey, Amy. Hey, Rachel. This is so fun. fun. We've never met. We've never met. We're like, what would you call us? Instagram friends? Is that a thing? You know, which I, I did not think was a real thing, but I have found over the last couple months, it is. It's like online dating, but friendship, because I'm like... <laughs> I feel like I would so get to know you and we would be the best of friends, but we like <laughs> did not meet in a legitimate way to a lot of people. People are like, how can you be friends with someone you don't really know? I'm like, I do know her. I know Amy. I know. You reached out after you heard me on another podcast. True. And then just randomly on Instagram, just kind of exchanging a message or two. And really that's about it. That's really all it takes. And um, <laughs> also wanted to buy some of your signs. And I think that's kind of how we got looped in. And we'll yeah. probably explain that for our listeners too, because they're pretty incredible. Yeah. But um, my followers on Instagram are obsessed with your signs as well now. Mm-hmm. So we're starting the movement and carrying it on here in Birmingham, Alabama. Woohoo. I've gotten a lot of, I've gotten a lot of orders in Alabama recently. I should vet these people through you. Like, is this your friend? Maybe so. I'd like to think so. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Give the listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do. Who is Amy Wolf? Ah, gosh, I feel like that could be such a deep question. I know, I know. Just like Spark Notes version. The the podcast answer is, (laughs) yeah, I'm Amy. I'm 35. I live in Newburgh, Oregon, which is just south of Portland. I have two daughters. Harper and Avery, they are five and eight. My husband, Jake, and I have been married 13 years. We met in high school, but we were Mm -hmm. not sweethearts. We were on and off. We were the super obnoxious couple that couldn't make up their minds. Oh, yeah. Until I remember my friend in college, we started dating again. And my friend in college looked me in the eye and said, this is forever or never. Which one? And Jake and I decided forever. That's good. And we got married quickly after that. 
I am a speaker coach. So I get hired to come into large corporations and work with their CEOs or sales teams or engineers. I work with attorneys and shoe designers and uh, pilots and all, all sorts of folks, helping them present more confidently, whether that's internally, small groups, or externally outside their companies and large groups. And that includes TED Talk speakers. I am currently in crunch time right now because TEDx Portland is around the corner and I get paired with a couple speakers every year to help them with their content and also with their delivery on stage. And then there's this funny movement thing that accidentally started a couple of years ago that I'm sure we'll get into. The accident. I love it. <laughs> accidental movement, yeah. The accidental movement. Do you feel like people have a lot of the same tendencies when they're on stage or just talking? Do you see that a lot? Well, I shouldn't say this. I should knock on wood, but I don't think anything would surprise me anymore. Hmm. Yeah, because I see the same same habits. And I think most of the, most of the time they are uh, observable. People go, oh, that speaker doesn't look as comfortable, but I can name it and I can tell you why you feel that way or why you're perceiving them that way. And I can go to the speaker and say, here's what you can do differently to make a stronger impression in front of these people. But most people just don't know what to do. They might talk with their hands too much, but what should I do with them? I don't know who to look at, so I stare at my shoes. (laughs) Well, let me help you know how to not creep people out, but to genuinely engage with them in this confident way. So yeah, I would say all the tics, they're pretty similar. I, I haven't been surprised in a long time. And you do a lot of speaking yourself too. So you get to kind of practice what you preach and get out yeah, of this. Just, Yeah. Uh, sorry. Just last weekend, I had a speaking engagement that really made me empathize with my clients more because I, I am a good coach as far as I am continuing to speak myself because I'm putting myself in their shoes and I get the pressure and I get what it's like to really want to remember your content So I did a speaking session, speaking engagement last weekend that was personal. It wasn't corporate world, business world. And I got to tell you, I was nervous. The content didn't really come together till last minute. I realized this is what all my clients feel like. (laughs) Yeah. A little bit of like, yeah, like you said, empathy. What was, do you mind me asking what it was about? Because I think, is this what you posted on Instagram? Yeah, I spoke on the movement that started with yard signs with encouraging words on them a couple of years ago. So I shared this. I was I was marketed as the keynote Amy Wolf founder of the Don't Give Up movement. So I knew that that had to be my talk. <laughs> but it was a faith based group. It was a mayor's prayer breakfast event that's annual in our town. And I just thought, what's on my heart? What is God teaching me? And what does that have to do with signs? And how does this talk come together? And it was insane. It, it The audience was so receptive to some pretty big challenges that I gave my faith community of loving more generously. So anyway, it was great. And tell us now, I feel like people are so curious. If I was a listener, I would be thinking, <laughs> what is she talking about these signs yeah. for? Tell me about yeah. the signs. Unpack that. Okay. In May of 2017, we were in a small group. We were in the family room of a dear friend. And our small group meets every week. 
we've met for over seven years. Our kids have grown up together and we just pray together. We read a book and discuss it together. And one of the people in our group is a teacher in the school district. In that particular week, he shared with us about the suicide rates in our community. And I don't remember the number, but I just felt so helpless of this silent suffering all around us. And I'm not a therapist. I'm not in the school district. I'm a young mom with a business that requires travel. I already volunteer in other places. And I was thinking, what can I do? I mean, I think the the easy answer is nothing. I really can't do anything, but I'm a doer. And <laughs> all my friends know that. Yeah. And so <laughs> I had read Bob Goff's book, Love Does, several years prior and had this vision, just this mental image of these random yard signs that say, don't give up. Well, in May of the 17, I decided, well, shoot, I'm just going to do those signs I've been thinking of. So we had 20 printed. We knocked on doors in our small town of Newburgh, asking strangers to put the yard sign in their yard for two weeks. The sign said, you matter, you are worthy of love, and your mistakes do not define you. Good old Brené Brown wisdom right there. Yeah, for real. <laughs> love her. Everyone, as soon as they saw, there wasn't a website. There were wasn't an agenda. There were no strings attached. It's just a young family trying to do something for their community. They didn't hesitate to say yes. Well, quickly, in the matter of a few days, word spread. Curiosity grew. What are these signs? They're, they're so simple. And finally, got so much demand, people wanting them, that we came out of the shadows a bit and said, we can place more orders. And pretty soon, we had a movement that spread not only to Oregon, but then to Dallas, Texas. Then a, a family from our church was road tripping from Oregon to New York, and they don't know why God told them to do it. And then they realized it's to take Amy's stuff and spread it around the country in every gas station wow. and parking lot and restaurant and bathroom. It was insane. The trail of hope and love tokens that happen around the country because people who who wanted to be generous in their love. So now we're in all 50 states. We're in 22 countries and six different languages. Woo-hoo. And it's totally blown my mind. That is crazy. Oh, it's so cool. Like what the Lord will do with a simple movement that isn't really even attached to his name. Yeah. It's just attached to the type of love that he has. Which is a hard, to be honest, two, two months after we put out the signs, my daughter, who was seven at the time, said, Mom, why don't you put Jesus loves you on a sign? Which, it, oh, being a mom, it's like she gets it. My seven-year-old gets that our surest hope is in Jesus. And I love that. I'm so grateful. But I looked at her in her beautiful green eyes and I said, Avery, I won't do that. What? Mom, why not? She was so confused. And to be honest, it's been a difficult decision to take the platform we've accidentally created and not infuse the gospel because I believe that that is fundamentally the most surest hope we will ever have of a God who loves and gives second chance after second chance to us, who is holy and sovereign, and we need to be reconciled to get back into our right relationship with him. And I can't fit that on a yard sign, but I won't even try. And it's because when people feel like there's any strings attached, they won't accept the hope that they need. And the movement was created to spread hope without strings attached. So I... 
I honor the integrity of the movement. I also pray that the, if the Lord helps me encounter someone through the movement that really needs prayer, aka all of us, everyone always, uh, I am. I will be faithful to do that and be bold. But that that's oh, that's a little behind the scenes of some of the things we've had to think about. Yeah, of course, and it just comes naturally with it because I think. For you being a doer, like you said, you want to make sure that not only are you doing it, but you're doing it right. You know, I feel like you really yeah. are about excellence and especially, I mean, I just feel like it overlaps in a lot of areas of your life, wanting to help other speakers speak excellently or yeah. do excellently. And so I think- You know where it comes from? Where? It comes from when I was 14 years old, my brother Jeremy was 18. And we went out to a local lake with a bunch of friends after church on Sunday afternoon and he- and a bunch of friends were swimming and they decided to turn back in the lake because it got, he, he was getting too tired. And unfortunately he didn't make it back to shore and he drowned that day. Uh, while I stood on the shore trying to yell at him to float on his back and get some energy to swim back to shore. So it was a really traumatic uh, experience. And I know some of your listeners can relate to moments like that. But uh, when I was 14, I had a pretty uh, remarkable piece. Uh, the anger didn't come to later when I was in college. But at 14, I realized I don't know how much time I have. Jeremy had 18 years. What if I only have 18? Maybe I have more, but I don't know. Life becomes really fragile. Your perspective gets really clear on that this is totally temporary. And there is no facade, there is no uh, perception that I have all this time to make my life matter. I have to make it matter now. And that has carried with me through my life as being a doer, that I just want to make my life count. Now, I don't have anything to prove, but I do want to make my life count. And the movement is evidence of that. Having a job where I feel I can make a really big impact in people's confidence and help them share their messages more clearly. It's evidence in that. Uh, it's just kind of my heartbeat. And God helps me chill out when I run sprinting and I can't sustain that. But that's, that's a little bit, I think, of why the movement was birthed from a long time ago. I love that you shared that. It was one of those stories that I heard you share on another podcast. And I was thinking, how do you bring that up? But I just <laughs> yeah, sure. so thankful it got brought up because tragedy is so real. And tragedy is one of those things that is unpredictable and instant. And you can wake up one morning, think life would be the same when you go to sleep. And it's not. And um, it's a friend. I like to call it. It's a friend that you didn't ever want to invite to the party, but always should have been there because it it's just a part of life naturally. But at the same time, tragedy is what makes you so much more aware of peace. Like when there is chaos, you can then recognize the stillness and you can recognize the hope and the peace that's there in the middle of it all. And um, the fact that you embodied the peace so young, that's great. Like 14 years old, you were able to impart a peace on your family. I'm sure not everybody was caring at the time. Yeah, well, there was a lot of confusion of... yeah. Why, what's wrong with Amy? Is she, is she really okay? And uh, those are, those are fair questions. I always say pain is a really, uh, I wish it weren't so because I think it's a, it's a tool God can effectively use, but I think pain is really clarifying. You know, we, we get to the heart of what we really believe. Uh, We get to the heart of what we really care about and what really matters. Uh, And that can pendulum swing 
You know, in pain, we can doubt everything and walk away. Or in pain, we lean in and decide what we really believe and if God is really sovereign. And for some reason, really quickly in my spirit when I was 14, it's God is sovereign. I'm leaning in. And that has, you know, not been easy since. I love your podcast. I love the this idea of behind the bliss, although I don't know if I'd even call it bliss. Uh, life is crazy. But, <laughs> but with, you know, it's there, there's stuff behind the scenes and it's really easy. I think sometimes I wonder if people think, oh, Amy, she just has it all together. She has her dream job. She has healthy kids. She has this long marriage. She is doing all these important things. I get so much accolade. I get so much appreciation and gratitude, but praise that it can go to my head real quick. And I have to be really guarded against pride, which could be a whole nother conversation. Uh, But there is a lot of junk that I have to wrestle with in my spirit that just, you can't, I try to post that on Instagram, but it's not a picture. (laughs) It's a really wordy caption that I spent three hours writing where there's grit, there's trial, there's, do you mean it, Amy? There's, There's just a lot of checks and balances when we live with the Holy Spirit. And those are painful too. It's kind of crazy that this conversation is happening now about tragedy and um, but peace that can lie in in the middle of it. Um, Last night I had a friend call me and just it was kind of crazy. She just told me that um, her brother was murdered Mm. and it came out of nowhere. There's no explanation. And the justice in me was thinking, no, there's no way. How? Why? Like what? was the reason where is the motive and all these questions came to my head and she was the one that was so peaceful and um and I just felt like I needed to tell her and because I have been in that same place too of it's okay if you're okay and we hear a lot of times like it's okay if you're not okay and you know all these things but for Mm -hmm. me and sometimes whenever I carry peace I almost feel shame and guilt like why am I not freaking out with everyone else or why am I not hurting with everybody else and and I, mm. and it's hard for me to sit in peace, knowing that I'm allowed to sit in peace and actually peace is the fruit of the spirit and give myself the permission to be okay. Um, because I feel like grief has kind of been twisted and perverted these days to be chaos and to be hurt and pain and, and yeah, hurt and pain, hurt and pain are good in a lot of ways, but peace is always better. And that, that's a good word, friend. Yeah. And, and I just was sitting on the phone last night and there wasn't a lot of tears and there's a lot of confusion, but there just was so much peace. And she said, like, I just want to feel it. And I said, I think peace is feeling it too. I, like, you have the permission to have peace. And Amy, I feel like you did that too with your family. And so I, she's just so close to my heart right now, obviously, just because of the recency. But the fact we're having this conversation, I just can't get her off my yeah. mind. And just to be yeah. real and raw, <laughs> say. Oh, yeah. You know, I, whew, one of the lessons that I have been learning the last couple of years, God has been really quiet in my life. Uh, when people say, I heard God stir my heart. I'm like, how, how did that happen? <laughs> my mom is super discerning and hears God so clearly and, and she has such prophetic gifts and it's beautiful. And I'm just like, God, will you talk to my mom, to me? Like where, why isn't it direct? Right. And, but the last year I have, I have tuned my ear and I feel like God is on unloading. And one of the, the pieces of unloading is this concept of it's, it can be both and not either or. That's good. And in this conversation, there can be grief and peace. It doesn't have to be grief or peace. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be, there's so much nuance. There's so much grace. 
And I, I think like you're talking about in, in especially the emotions, there feels like there should be expectation in our grief. There's expectation in our response. Well, it's natural to respond this way. And why aren't I? Why aren't I feeling those things? And then the guilt and then the shame. And there, it's a both and there's nuance and it's okay. I love it. And not or that's so good. Oh, I'm like, can we just export this episode now and send it straight over to her? Love on her. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, I'm really sorry. Yeah, yeah. There's just so much that, oh gosh, there's so much I want to dive into in this episode because there's so many different parts of life I think you touch so beautifully. Um, going back to his whole Instagram post and what you got to share about the Don't Give Up movement, um, yes. where did where did that end up going? I know the answer, but I want you to share the answer. No, where did this yeah. end up going that you felt like the Lord had you yeah. take these people? Yeah, uh, it is really a reflection. I I said, okay, God, I have 250 people. I have 20 minutes. I just want to talk to what you've been teaching me. And it doesn't have to, anything to do with yard signs. So that was the confusing part, but it worked. Uh, the last two years ago, uh, I started to really hear the Lord. Uh, and I wish I, we could talk about that because that's just a confusing phrase. To be honest, it was an emotional trigger for me hearing that phrase for years of it be more frustrating to hear people say that. Yeah. But uh, two years ago, I was sitting in church. There was a preacher from T- T- Tanzania, T- Tanzania, and he—I knew him well. And he said, "What is what is God calling you to?" And I thought, "Oh, I'm not going to hear. I don't know." And God said so clearly, "Amy, go be in the world." Whoa, Whoa. what's this? <laughs> uh, this it, the the thought came so clear. It came so fast. Uh, it's something I could have thought up on my own, but it just came so clear and so fast. And that's what I've learned to discern how I hear him. It came clear. It came fast. And it, it was a call to get outside of my Christian community. It was, Amy, everyone around you looks like you, thinks like you, believes like you, and I need you to quit it. Part of that is in really secular situations, which is where I live in my work, my work is all corporate, secular world. Uh, you can, Amy, you get really uncomfortable around certain sins. And I need you to get some thick skin because there's just sin everywhere in your faith community and out in the world. Yeah. Like all, both and. And so a month later, I met a woman named Missy. Missy and I hit it off at a woman's conference in Portland, a secular one. And very quickly, we learned that we are different. Missy and I have not much in common. And it was so timely to think back now when God gave me that word and when I met Missy. Missy is a bisexual. She has worked at Planned Parenthood. She is a angry feminist. She (laughs) votes almost liberal. Not always. There's always nuance, but uh, we vote fairly differently. We have different faith experiences. Uh, I've shared openly with her permission that Uh, She identifies as a witch, that she feels like she can will things her way uh, through, I don't know, exactly. And yet Missy and I come together with not much in common. And every time we have these hard conversations about immigration, about abortion, about racism, about God, uh, we feel loved after we talk. We feel heard after we talk which feels like a miracle at this point in our culture that this can happen. And we realized, let's take this, let's take this to the masses. So on Facebook, 
once a month, we have a live conversation unscripted about something difficult, modeling and practicing for ourselves what it's like to be in disagreement, to have differences, and yet somehow always end up hugging or high-fiving or laughing and that we really love each other and we know it. So that is what has been, it's been huge in my spirit and my heart in the last couple years. And so at the mayor's prayer breakfast last weekend, I implored my community of faith to be better at generously loving people who are different than us. And I introduced them to Missy, who came and came to the event and was uh, very vulnerable, willing for me to share about the specific ways we're different. I used her as an example of how she generously loves because after our heated emotional conversations on Facebook, she gets a lot of hate and not hate from my community, but actually hate within her own. Why are you talking to Amy? She's the enemy. Mm. She's the one that hurts us. She's the one. And to be honest, we do that within on this side of the fence too with each other. Why are you talking to so-and-so? What you, your love is compromising your truth, right? And so she's getting all this hate from her own community, her own tribe. And what she does is she generously loves me because she defends me. She knows my heart and she defends me to her own people. And that is generous love. How can we as a faith community give this generous love? And for me, the aha came when I realized there is a difference between empathy and endorsement. I do not need to agree with Missy. I don't need to agree with her. I relinquish this control in me that wants to be the one who changes her mind on things. I can't do that. The Holy Spirit does that. And that has been a really convicting shift in my spirit. The Holy Spirit moves. I will speak truth. She knows what I think. But I genuinely love her, not out of a mission, but because I love her. And so I shared that at the event. I preach gospel. I preach generous love. I preach truth and love together, both equally like Jesus. I sat down and people gave a warm applause. But when I got to my seat, Missy stood up and ran to me in a big bear hug with tears on her cheeks and the whole room erupted in a standing ovation, not for me, but for us, for our friendship, for what it looks like to engage the world genuinely with our truth, not compromising our truth, but with empathy, not feeling the need to change people, but to show up with this Holy Spirit in us, willing to love. And it was the most beautiful moment. I mean, really will relive that moment the rest of my life. I can't. It's so beautiful. I read the Instagram post a few days ago. Obviously, it was like, I think five days ago or something. And um, and I thought, we've got to bring this up in the episode. Cause <laughs> it's just something we don't talk about. And I think we don't talk about it in the fear of stepping on toes. But I think that, I don't know if you said it, but I heard it somewhere. It's okay to say, I love you, but I disagree. And yeah. this idea of, like you said, empathy Instead, you can have empathy without having endorsement. Yeah. Yeah. It's not two in the same. And what I keep getting brought back to biblically every time I think of this and yeah, getting the thick skin and going out into the world and just being a part of it. Cause hello, we're here. Like we can't just hide the whole time. We can. We totally can. Yeah, we can, but we, I mean, I would we die should. inside. <laughs> I would die inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And this whole, yeah, we all want a purpose-driven life, right? And everyone's like, what's my purpose? And I'm like, well, why don't you look up instead of staring down, <laughs> look around you, because there's tons yeah. of purpose. There's a lot of ideas I've got for you. And I mean, like the story of Jonah, right? Like Jonah had his own idea about how, where he wanted to go, and God wanted to bring him to Nineveh, which is like Sin City. <laughs> and yeah. Jonah ran the opposite direction, and God still got him there. And it, and it took a long time and a lot of disobedience and him getting swallowed up by a huge fish and then spit out in Nineveh. And like, you can take it one way and say, we're always going to end up where the Lord wants us. And you can take it a little bit of a step further and say, and questioning like, well, where does he want you? And it's going to look a little bit messier maybe than what you had ever wanted for yourself, but it's going to give you the purpose you'd always ask for. Man, there are, that's so good. There are two Two things as you're talking, they kind of came clear in my mind. Two things that have really been a game changer as I've obeyed and gone into the world and gotten into the gray and gotten into the messy. Number one, I can't go defensive. I can't go and feel like I have to prove, I have to prove my faith. I have to be really articulate about what I believe. I have to have the answers. I have to know scripture back and forth, forth and backwards. Uh, I don't. Uh, God is gracious with me. He's leading me into scripture, the living word more and more. Yeah, but it, there's there's all these ways in my mind that I thought I have to defend, but man, I'm not equipped to defend. So these conversations are kind of awkward. And then you say something and it just gets me it makes me feel frustrated because I feel misunderstood. Then I defend and you cannot have a thoughtful, productive conversation with someone who might be different than you with defensiveness. The opposite of defensiveness is empathy where you just sit, listen to understand what they feel, Hmm. understand where they come from. And that is what builds bridges. And the second thing that, Oh, it's been so painful, Rachel. Oh, but the second thing in just this last week, it was, it's been applied in a whole different area of my life, but is I need to hate my sin Whoa. more than theirs. Say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I have to hate my sin more than other people's sin. To be honest, that was really important in my marriage because I saw everything wrong in Jake. Uh, not, I mean, he's great. But whew, I could fixate on his real fast yeah, and lose mine. Yeah. But last week, I a couple weeks ago, there are fr- dear friends of ours, and one of the spouses was uh, came to truth that there has been an affair for two years, and that they are leaving the marriage for this relationship. And we are mad. We are so mad. We are so hurt. We are so grieving. And then I'm so mad. I keep coming back to, I'm so mad. He knew better. He knew better. And for so many reasons, and we were there. Uh, and it. I remember praying for him, praying against his sin, praying against the lies, so passionately interceding. And God so gently called me back to what he taught me last year. Amy, do you hate your sin more than his? Yeah. I was like, oh, that's okay, Lord. That's right. I need you. You're my savior. You're, I need you as much as he needs you. That is the posture of my heart. I can intercede and I can pray, but I need to do the inner work always. What's difficult though, is I'm a, I'm a rule follower. Are you a rule follower? Oh, are you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are. Okay. 
I'm a black and white thinker, rule follower. And it means that I've really avoided a lot of big mistakes in my life. And so I, and there might be people who relate to that and totally don't. But for me this last week, I was listening to a sermon at church by my friend, Liz. It was amazing. It was about sin. And she said that as Christians, we, we, we normalize certain sins. You know, if I'm snappy with my kids and I'm impatient and I'm irritable and I'm angry and I confess that to my friends, they say, oh, well, it's just a season of life you're in. Oh, well, that totally makes sense because hmm. and she realized we don't we're we normalize sin in some sin in our in the church and in our communities. And she said, you need to name your sin. So I sat yeah. there at church on Sunday and I had this just experience, which I don't have often, but I had this experience of, oh, I, you got me to my posture of my heart to hate my sin, but I didn't name it. I couldn't name it. It was kind of vague. It wasn't that big sin, those big mistakes. And on Sunday morning, he named it for me and repentance immediately came. And immediately I saw how that sin, that mindset, that attitude in my heart affected my kids, affected my family, affected how I prayed for people. And it just got clear. So we got to hate our sin more than others. And we got to name it. We got to stop normalizing it. And that will bring us to the feet of Jesus every time. Yeah. And how much confidence Satan takes in us not being able to name it, either whether it's out of confusion or whether it's out of pride, like keeps us in that place because it's like, well, I've, yeah, like you said, I've normalized it. It is who I am. It's become a part of me and it's my personality, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. And Satan's like, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's just who you are, you know, and it gets us stuck. And then we turn to God and we're like, speak to me. I want to hear you. And he's like, I am. (laughs) I I so want to get your attention. And, And when you're able to name it, like you said, and identify it and call it for what it is, like pride, judgment, like whatever, um, it's, it's like, it's hard not to turn back and be like, gosh, Jesus, I need you so badly. Did you, do you follow Jenny Allen on Instagram? No, you were the second person in the same day to tell me to. All right. So here I go while we're on an interview. Follow. (laughs) I met Jenny a few years ago through a good friend of ours, a mutual friend, Jessica Honiger, who is the CEO of Noonday. Have you heard of Noonday? Of course. Okay. So I work with Jessica once in a while. Uh, She's become a, 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 a sweet friend, but she introduced me to Jenny Allen, leader of If Gathering, author, a really wonderful gal. We met in a bar. It was super weird, but she uh, she helped me in this whole hate your own sin idea. She helped me get that. But recently she was preaching on Baylor University campus and she said a revival started. And I get so curious, what is it that breaks down our walls and gets us thirsty and desperate, knowing just all out? And she, a couple days in a row, was posting what was happening on this campus. It became student-led. Students kept gathering every night. And you know what it was? The confession of sin publicly. It happened the first night where people did it with each other. Then they started coming on stage and confessing. And then the next night, the students kept doing it. And they kept coming back together, back together. And it was the revival started with the confession of sin. I just thought, oh, we don't like to talk about it. But that's where those chains are broken and we can't hide and we mm-hmm. name it. We name it with accountability. We name it out loud. And it's when we name it and when we call it for what it is, it gives the Lord so much more glory than if we didn't because 
we we do have the ability to change overnight. He can he can change us and heal our hearts in an instant whenever we turn in repentance and that's what gives him glory of like yeah he did he can work on me in a f- in a few years too if I wanted or if he wanted and he can yeah. have his way but it's whenever you get on stage for example and you publicly declare like who you are and what you oh. are not worthy of but because you've been made worthy he can now do something huge with you and we say a lot around here what's hidden can't be healed oh my gosh I love it yeah we say it all the time and it's so true well, I heard it I heard it on your podcast interview with someone this week, and I I literally stopped the podcast, stopped listening to you, shot an email to our graphic designer for the movement, and I said, can you create this image for our Instagram? It's too good. I so love it's it. Coming. I love it's it. It's so good. It's so, but it's true. I like you can hide in your sin and no one would ever know, and the freedom that comes whenever you tell either one person or a thousand when you're on stage, there's so much freedom because it's like, well, one... One, you've gotten it off your chest. There's that principle. But then two, chances are someone's going to come up to you afterwards and say, yeah, me too. Yeah. I, yeah, that's me too. I'm sitting in it right now too. Hey, how about we go find help together? Like, how about we go and read this book? Or why don't we pull someone else in here that has been through it and has recovered or been healed or is no longer sitting in it? And, and again, like you can't do it alone. And it all comes from repentance and, and being humble enough to say, I'm not who I am want to be tomorrow yeah that's a good word it's good this is why we need to hang out in portland i know you need to come (laughs) visit we can hang out in a bar me you and jenny allen (laughs) queso chips and queso Queso. chips and queso absolutely what's funny is i follow if gathering i realized but i didn't follow jenny oh yeah so well now i'm following both you know what's interesting you guys you're in the south i am in portland no one really it's it's different up here. Uh, people don't really know who Jamie Ivy is. Maybe they've heard of If Gathering. It's kind of different, really? uh, which makes me that much more like, all right, Jesus, use me. You know, if if, if, if Portland, Portland's an interesting city. That's all I'll say. It was. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's beautiful, but but uh, well, I guess we all need Jesus. They need Jesus. I need Jesus. I was about to say need Birmingham Jesus. needs Jesus too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I've never been to Alabama. Come on. Let's go. We got some good barbecue. Yeah. 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 It's a really long flight. You could break it up. (laughs) Maybe we can meet in Dallas. Hey. (laughs) That would be fun. I know. Yeah. I see. It's a hit or miss here, too. Because, and I'm not hating on my city. I love it, but we're kind of brand new here ish. We just moved here about um, almost, yeah, like two, two and a half years ago. Oh. And um, it's become home really quickly. So there's that. There's like the most amazing people that love to host and they open up their home. But there's a lot of um, lack of opening up hearts too. That sounds so cheesy. But like people are are like drop of a hat will serve you and help you. Yeah. And that's something I really love about our culture. But rarely do you find a lot of vulnerability. Yeah. And um, we have an amazing church that we've gotten really plugged into that's starting that movement and just meeting people where they are and sharing their struggle too. And there's a lot of amazing movement happening that we are so thankful to be a part of and call Birmingham home now because of it. So it's just funny, the kind of cultures that are carried in cities. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's true. I also saw that you got really exciting news in the last week with your husband's dream. Congratulations. Thank you. This is not my interview. What are you doing? you're right it's a conversation it is a conversation anyway congrats it sounds like there's an adventure ahead 
there is tons. There's always adventures ahead for the Autrys. Ugh, if you <laughs> hang out with us long enough, we really can't sit still that long. Oh, see, I like safety and security. So it's like, mm, same job for as long as I can. Yeah. No, yeah. He, you know, Thomas loves adventure and I feared it for a really long time. And um, uh, part of, yeah, part of my story is I, I lost my dad to adventure, I say. He passed away in a rock climbing accident. And so there was like a really long time in my life where I just hated risk and hated adventure and wanted to be the homebody, not because I really wanted to and I thrived, but because I was scared to do anything else. It's been neat. And so now my husband a few years ago was like, I want to be a pilot. Like, what kind of pilot? He was like, I want to be a fighter pilot. I was like, why? No. <laughs> and the Lord was like, hey, we're not done with adventure, Rach. You got to get over it. I'm like, okay. So, um, yeah, we've done lots of praying and lots of investing emotionally and financially and yeah, it's just crazy. We're going to be staying in Birmingham and with all the different places he applied and he, we were considering the fact that the Lord's allowing us to stay here is just something we are so excited about because it's a, it's the best of both worlds being married together where now we get to stay at a place we've called home. So yes, we get the home and security, but we're doing yeah. something crazy yeah. <laughs> here. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's a lot we're learning Oh, that's so great. It reminds me because I am not a risk taker at all. I never have been. The fact I own a business now is just bizarre. Uh, but have, even the last 24 hours, this phrase has come to mind a couple times to me and it's just hold everything loosely, you know, yes, yeah. like my, my, my wanting security and safety and predictability and finances and in life in general and with God, to be honest, uh, hold everything loosely. It goes back to having that perspective and wanting only what God wants and not adding to it and not taking away from it. Uh, and just hold, we got to hold things loosely. Palms up. Yeah. Palms up. That's what I say. Palms up. That's good. <laughs> because if I'm so the person where if I get something I want, I cling and I like crush it. Yes. Because I'm yeah. holding my hand, I'm gripping it so hard. I just crush it. And I'm like, wait, where did yeah. it go? And God's like, you yeah. broke it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, okay, open your hands back up. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, sometimes it's prying, but it's always more fun when I'm just like, palms up, what you got? So it's yeah. been sweet. It's been a really sweet season. Yeah. Um, to just take a little bit of a spin. I'm so interested sure. in things that you are all about these days. Is there like a book that you're reading or like music you're listening to that you have to let the people know about? Oh, gosh. I have been wanting to read a book for six months and I've yet to buy it on Amazon, but it's by Jackie Hill Perry called good gay girl. Good God. Have you heard about it? No. Oh, have you heard about her? No. Oh, okay. So I found out about Jackie through, I don't know, Jamie or Jenny, someone. And she was, uh, she was gay. She, we, she encountered a Bible, uh, in some setting, I I'm losing the details and she opened the Bible and the living word of God wrecked her and changed her and convicted her. And the word was enough to completely tear down every, these preconceived notions of what life was, what happiness was and humbled her. And, and, and then that was a journey. It wasn't like a one and done. It was a journey. And she wrote a book about it. And she is so good. She's so 
wise in biblical truth. She's an amazing preacher. And so I really, really want to read her book uh, just because it's really timely with a lot of conversations I'm having, even within my personal family, extended family, people coming out. And I just think that would be a really wise book to read from someone who really loves God. So that one's on my list. I just finished uh, Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. Have you read that? Of course. Gosh, he is just yeah. so... I am a driver. I'm a D on the disc personality. I don't know what Enneagram that is. Don't ask. I have no idea. But I'm a driver. I like blunt. It was a, it's, it's so black and white. It's kind of hard for me, which is bizarre. But I had a hard time wrestling through... I kind of wrestled through that book, not in disagreement, but in what does this look like? I don't know. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. So that that was a good discussion with our small group. And I'm loving some Lauren oh, Daigle. Yes. How do you say her name? Daigle. Yeah, Lauren Daigle. I saw Selena Gomez post about one of her songs a year ago on Instagram. <laughs> and I was like, huh, I wonder who that is. Oh, my gosh. Loving, loving her music. Of course, always. She, okay, she is one of the best. And the fact that one of her songs was on like the top 10 pop yeah. songs. I'm like, LOL, y'all don't yeah. even know what you're listening to. Like, Jesus, about your wreck yeah, your world. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. This has been so good for me. I agree. I appreciate you joining us so much and just everything that you had to share from grief to empathy to getting on thick skin and just going out there and just small and big ways that people can take the next right step and what the Lord's calling them to is wow. I can't even thank you enough what you've done. for oh, me. Thank you for caring about my story. Thank you for reaching out. And I, I, I love when I get to interact with people that we just kind of have a similar heartbeat and it just reminds me there's a family of God and it is wide and it is diverse and we are just, we are in this together. Yeah, so true. So true. I'm glad to be in it with you. Mm, I'm leaving today's episode feeling encouraged and a little bit convicted. There's definitely people inside and out of my community that, to be honest with you, I just kind of stiff arm. Not because I don't want to love them, but I just don't even know how to start to relate to them. But truly, it doesn't even have to take something similar to get a conversation started. Amy hit the nail on the head with this whole conversation and bringing everything to a full complete circle. That it's because of Jesus that we can relate to everybody and that everyone is worthy of love, despite how much or how little you have in common with them. There is such thing as empathy over endorsement. Oh, I love that. I don't know about you, but I wrote it down as soon as she said it as something that I wanted to remember and keep with me forever. The principle of loving someone even when you disagree with them is something that I don't think we talk about it enough. So to have Amy on the show, to share her own story, how she's living it out today, and to share a few tidbits on how we can pocket it and keep it a part of our routine and our relationships moving forward is invaluable. Everything we talked about today from the don't give up sign movement to the Instagram picture I was referencing, to more about Amy and beyond. It can all be found on our show notes at behindtheblisspodcast.com. One of Mary Scott and I's favorite things to do is to read through all of your super sweet reviews on iTunes. It gives us a picture and a glimpse into what you're thinking about our show. We're able to tweak and fine tune a few things based on your rating. So if you have time, would you please go over to iTunes and leave us a review? All of your encouragement means the world to us. 
We'll see you guys next week.